Hey guys, welcome to SVU Pod, especially heinous. <laughs> morning, Tasha. I'm Gabe. Good, mo- yeah. Good morning. We never record at this time of day. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Darla's up. Okay. We are on season four, episode eighteen. Desperate. This was a good fucking episode. It was really good, and I was just fucking mad the whole time. Yeah. Okay, so the opening scene, there's an older woman like banging on the door, begging this kid, Mikey, to open the door. There's smoke in the hallway and it's coming from the apartment. Yeah, she's full on frantic. Yeah. The fire department shows up and the lady's like, oh my God, his name is Mikey. And they go up to the door and they tell him to back away and they fucking bust it open. They rush in. There's food on the stove that's burning. Mikey is found covered in blood, hiding in a corner. They find Mikey's mom unconscious in a bed, barely breathing. Covered in blood. Benson and Stabler are doing a walk and talk with a lady doctor, a new lady doctor. I haven't seen her yet. Mm. The mom is alive and she's in surgery, but the doctor's not sure if she's going to survive. She has a ton of multiple subdural hematomas. She has trauma to her genitals that indicates she was raped and sodomized, but no fluids were found from the attacker. Mikey wasn't physically harmed. All the blood that was on him was his mom's, which is awful. Yeah. He is sitting on a hospital bed all alone with his little knees tucked up to his chest and Benson goes in to talk to him. Mikey won't talk to Benson, but he uses his little fingers to show her that he's six years old. Benson asks if he saw what happened to his mom, and he just nods yes. She wants yeah. to know what happened, but he just will not talk. Yeah, he, you can tell he's in shock or something. Yeah. Uh, he does reach for her badge with his like little tiny chubby fingers. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I'm a cop. I'm here to help you. I'm, I'm, I need to find out who hurt your mom. But then Stabler comes in and needs her, so she tells Mikey she'll come back in a little bit. Stabler has this look on his face, too, and we all know it. Mikey's mom died in surgery. Theme song. Benson and Stabler are with CSU back at the crime scene. The suspect took a ton of shit from the apartment but left no prints, hair, or semen. CSU thinks someone broke in through the window because it's a ground-level apartment. So Mikey's mom was hit with a lamp in the face, raped, Mm. and then beaten more afterwards. She was out after the first two blows. They figured that out with the blood splatter. So the perp beating her more after was overkill because she was already out. So Stabler, of course, is like, this is personal. Yeah. Oh, then there's a tiny little bloody handprint. They think that Mikey saw it happen from the doorway because he wet his pants and it stained the floor. He was hiding in the doorway watching. Oh, my God. Oh, poor, I know. poor fucking little dude. Mikey. So now Benson and Stabler are talking to the neighbor who was banging on the door in the beginning. She's so white. She looks like a fucking 18th century ghost, right? <laughs> Which I was super into. Yeah. She was in 20 episodes of The Sopranos, one of the old lady friends in Requiem for a Dream. You know, the ones that all sat out on the lawn chairs yeah. in the front. And she was Mrs. Bucking Hogarth in Uncle Buck. Whoa. Wait. Take this quarter, go downtown, <laughs> and have a rat gnaw that thing off your face. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I can't believe that was her. Holy shit. I had to go back and I watched that whole scene and I was like, Tasha, come back. We're doing this. You can't watch Uncle Buck. I'm like, but I need to see him flip those giant pancakes with a shovel. <laughs> she was also in Lolita, Goodfellas, Working Girl, Mystic Pizza. She has been in iconic who, movies. Who was she in Lolita? I don't know. I just made a list of all the shit that I was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. She only knew that Mikey's mom's name was Dana and had never seen her have visitors. They moved in a month ago, so she didn't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. She says the landlord might know the bastard only comes by to collect the rent. He's got an office in Midtown. I bet you it's a hell of a lot nicer than this dump. What a hump. What a hump. hump. Sounds like a classic hump. (laughs) At the landlord's office, Benson asks him for the credit report and other rental documents that they need. The landlord doesn't know where they are and kept saying that the secretary's out for the day, so he can't get them. So, bye. Mm -hmm. Staler puts on his sassy pants and says, a landlord who doesn't know where to find a lease? Hmm. (laughs) This guy fucking thinks he's going to get away with some shit and says, hey, I'm busy i got better things to do than sit and listen to a detective crack wise mm-hmm. dude i know i'm like, like who the like, do you know how many fucking sandbag punches fucking stabler's got in his right arm right now it, no shit he's like guy i'm sorry to bother you and ask you to do like exactly what your job is but a woman in your building was fucking raped and brutally murdered in front of her six-year-old so yeah he's like how am i gonna get that piss out of the carpet like Jesus. fuck you dude god this guy picks up the phone, but Benny's all like, uh-uh, uh-uh. I got a pal at the DA's office who loves to prosecute slumlords. The landlord remembers Dana McGuire paid in cash for three months, and her old address was on Central Park 
West, which is a really good part of town. They also call him on remembering the exact fucking address that was on Central Park West on her ID. Mm -hmm. And he talks about this piece of shit real estate like it offered to suck his dick or something. He's like, (laughs) I I know a good piece of real estate. That took me a second because he was like, I don't remember a face, but I I do remember a prime piece of real estate. And I was like, I was like, is he talking about her or the thing i couldn't he did it so well where it sounded like it sounded great it sounded like he wanted to fuck some property (laughs) yeah the way he said it i like the way he said it to me i'm like this is giving he thinks strippers like him energy you know yeah Mm -hmm. yes he was that guy they go to the mcguire residence which is the 301 central park west address that he gave them the prime piece of property yeah that prime sexy sloppy wet piece of property that that ppp that thick ass (laughs) triangle of a property (laughs) (laughs) not Michael Ian Black opens the door and Benny and Staves ask him if he knows Dana McGuire. And he's like, (laughs) he's immediately such a fuck. I know. I loved it. (laughs) Of course I do. I'm her husband. Doy. She's inside feeding our baby. Why? Cut to inside and this cardigan Karen goes, a dead woman was using my ID. That's so creepy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> she wasn't dead when she was using it. And sorry that happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> sorry this woman that was murdered? Oh, Jesus. This woman goes on to be in the movie Potato Dreams of America. Oh, my God. <laughs> I dove into it. It actually looks awesome. Uh, this is the description of it. An autobiographical dark comedy about a gay boy growing up in the Soviet Union, his mail-order bride mother, and their adventurous escape to America. Mm-hmm. I watched the trailer, and Aaron Samuels from fucking Mean Girls plays Jesus Christ. So, 10 out of 10. Who's Aaron <laughs> Samuels? Oh, the... Yeah. You look sexy with your hair pushed back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It looks ridiculous, and I was like, I thought I was going to make fun of it, so that's why I went to look at it, and I'm like, oof. Yeah. <laughs> Add to Q. Like, <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> The husband is also like, yep, it was, she got mugged in broad daylight, not a cop in sight. I mean, okay, chill out. Well, because it's like, we live in a rich neighborhood. So where are you? This is where you should be. Right. Yeah. So the guy who mugged her was found, but Mikey's mom had been using Dana's ID. So Dana McGuire isn't dead. Mm -hmm. Twisting, twisting. Everybody's feeling great, except Mikey, but everybody's. God, twisting, twisting, twisting. It's just Twist City. Like, are they all this twisty? All these episodes, or is it just like these ones? Or am I finding out now that SVU is just like a pile of twisty twists? Twist, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. Hand me the bread bag because the twists <laughs> are coming. <laughs> God, that Ugh. wasn't. I all of that was bananas, and I I'm, I hope you keep it in. Am I a dad? Like, uh, <laughs> twist down. Calf? Where are the kids? <laughs> Catherine, where's my sandwich? Marine! Marine! Get in the van! Yeah, so the <laughs> the cop's like, yeah, the mugger only got six months in Rikers. He hates that. He should have been murdered. <laughs> right. Well, at least the woman who stole my ID was brutally murdered. That's right. <laughs> Jesus, that's right, honey. This Just is the, the Upper way West that Side. behaving. All of this fucking, there's, I mean, I can't believe this episode wasn't called Privilege. There's all of these and that the fucking husband. Mm-hmm. Benson and Stabler are at Rikers Island now and they're talking to the dude that mugged the lady who was pissed that her ID got stolen and not that the lady was murdered. He <laughs> says, he says that yuppie moms are easy pickings. What? All of this dude's facial hair is in a full on extended John Waters mustache. So instead of just like the upper lip, his John Waters mustache continues all the way down. It's almost backstreet chin strap, but it's that much thinner. It is pencil thin. I didn't even notice. Oof. It was because it was just a hint. He's like, you know what? This is basically me drawing in a jawline. So Benson and Stabler are trying to get him to tell him who bought the ID. And if he cooperates, they'll get him moved to a halfway house. They could have just shown him a picture of the mom first before cutting him a deal, but whatever. (laughs) They show him a picture of Mikey's mom. Dude says that he met her in a diner. She bought the ID because she didn't have one, so she was having trouble finding work. She told him her name was Jill and Mikey's name is Tommy. And then the mugger's like, whatever, I'm out of here. Yeah. And leaves the... He leaves the Rikers. (laughs) 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 So... 
Benson Stabler are kind of talking about it. And they're like, usually if you're hiding from creditors, you just change your name. But she changed Mikey's name as well. Stabler thinks that Jill was hiding from something big. Then Benson gets a beeper alert and they have to go to the morgue. Benson Stabler was Coroner Warner. She says the attack occurred between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. the night before, but the fire department didn't get called until 5 a.m., so Tommy had to watch his mom die for hours. Like six hours. Tommy. Jill has a splenectomy scar. Corner Warner thinks that she had Hodgkin's disease and went through radiation, which would have caused infertility. And because of that, Corner Warner's badass compared Tommy's DNA to Jill's. Not a match. And then fucking Benson goes, she's not his mother. And we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, we just said that. She just said that. You know what I just figured out? I'm not in water right now. Good. <laughs> Twister starring Helen Hunt and Bill yeah. Paxton. This fucking kid <laughs> isn't hers. What's happening? In an observation room, Benson Stabler and Huang watch Tommy play with toys in like a two-way mirror thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Huang says Tommy's been using his art to communicate. He drew a picture of the murder and he drew a picture of him and Benson holding hands because he feels safe with her. And then I'm also like, Tommy, our girl would never wear that long ass skirt you drew. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the read. Be better, Tommy. <laughs> Be better. <laughs> a long brown skirt. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Piece Who of she shit. Cab it? <laughs> Benson goes to talk to Tommy. She's like, oh, hi, Tommy. And he's like, he's surprised that she knows his name. Mm -hmm. Benson lets Tommy play with her phone and he shows her he knows 911. And she's like, oh, my God, you're so smart. That's great. But when she asks if he knows his home phone number, he throws the phone down. She asks if he knows any other numbers that he could call in an emergency. So he types another number in. Benson asks him to draw another picture and he smiles because he wants to. Then she walks back behind the other side of the two-way glass in the observation room to call the number. Tommy dialed the domestic violence hotline. Oh, those are the numbers he knew. 911 and yeah. Now Benny and Staves are at the domestic violence hotline office. Benson shows a woman there a photo of Jill. This woman, it's Miss Claudette from Orange is the New Black. Again, she was in season two already. Oh, Miss Claudette. She was the one that she kept her when they were in the open cell area like really tidy and i think she murdered her husband i don't remember who she killed oh yeah she but cool. she was I've, yeah i wondered i knew she looked familiar i've seen her yeah. in a lot of other things too oh yeah she's got a ton of credits but i always recognize her from that she knows jill hoffman and says the bastard finally did it who the guy she's talking about mm-hmm. is jill's fucking husband dan hoffman mm-hmm. jill stayed in a safe house for a bit but went back because she didn't want to leave tommy her stepson yeah she loved him like her own son miss mm-hmm. claudette says tommy couldn't go with jill since she was his stepmom and they weren't related by blood so he was gonna have to stay with his fucking abusive dad mm-hmm. the dvh office tried to help jill fight for custody of tommy by finding her a pro bono attorney so now benny and Stabes have to go talk to that person lead 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 let's go yep at jill's attorney's office immediately the lawyer's like i'm not telling you shit mm-hmm. client privilege i'm not telling you anything and eventually they get to hey if you don't help us tommy might be sent back to live with his fucking dad so she's like oh yeah for sure then i'll tell you all the shit i love that she's just a rolling boil of rage under the Mm -hmm. surface while she talks about what a pile of fucking meat scraps dan hoffman is (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) meat scraps because he's worthless meat scraps beat him to the dogs I fucking hate this guy. Yeah. Jill was abused by Dan soon after marrying him. They had been married for two years. Tommy's birth mom, Kim, left when Tommy was three. And the lawyer's like, yeah, Hoffman probably fucking beat her too. And I'm like, yes, he did 100%. Mm-hmm. She goes on to say that this piece of shit never physically hurt Tommy. Physically. Jill knew it would happen eventually. And he terrorized him. Yeah. She tells him that Jill thought no one would believe she was being abused because of Dan's good reputation as a pillar of the community. Of course. The lawyer tells them that she knew it was a crazy long shot for Jill to get custody of Tommy. And this is when Benny looks at her and says, oh. <gasps> Are we in a boat or are we in water or are we in an office building? You told her to take Tommy and run. And the lawyer's like, who, me? 
<laughs> I'd be disbarred if I had betted a crime like that. No, 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 not this gal. <laughs> I yeah. didn't. She's nodding the whole time. Yeah. Bad bitch. Mm. Benson and Stabler are at the police department in Rye, New York. That's where they all live. Benson and Stabler are speaking with a captain. He was in at this bobbleheaded fuck. We've seen him a few times already. He played a principal. He's played another cop. He does a bunch of different roles in SVU. So the captain was told by Dan Hoffman that Kim ran off to Florida with some other guy. And he's like, oh, but Dan is just such a saint. He rose to the occasion and raises Tommy, never misses a soccer game or anything. Kim left with another guy, that tramp of a first wife. It's like, oh, you don't have a an opinion on this at all. Yeah. The captain doesn't think that Dan could ever do anything bad. He even shows them a newspaper that has Dan giving to like a little league team or whatever. He literally has it directly behind him. Yeah. He's they like, just oh, like, oh, look at this. He pulls it out of a magician's hat. Yeah. He's like, he's like okay. I just, I usually just keep this piece of paper to jack off on Dan's face because I love him so much. I mean, this is my, this is my schwack paper, but take a look. Take a look. It's a little sticky. <laughs> the ink's kind of bled from semen, but mine, you, my jizz. You, yeah, you can have it run. I mean, that's my DNA. <laughs> Um, anyways, he says Dan is the nicest guy in the whole world. He's a successful real estate agent and does a shit ton for the community. Dan is so cool. See, me and you date just like regular shitheads that look like they're shitheads and everybody knows they're shitheads. Yeah. <laughs> These ones are worse. Right. The ones that can hide in plain sight. Now Benson Stabler at the Ride newspaper office. They asked the newspaper employee lady for photos of Dan and Tommy. There's tons of pictures of them doing community stuff. But they want a picture of Kim, Tommy's bio mom. This was such a weird She's like, I don't know why I even keep pictures of her. Well, she's like, why do you need it anyway? And Benson gives this detailed and bizarre lie, like when she and Stabes were married and getting drug tiles delivered to their house. Like, you don't have to lie about, oh, we're trying to give it a fucking award we're tracing an heir if, if this is the right hoffman the kid just inherited a bundle and i'm like are you are you creating this fantasy is this for you because this kid like this sucks for this kid so bad yeah it's gotta be for her because she they can just be like none of your business we're cops <laughs> yeah but instead she's like in my fantasy scrooge mcduck taught his nephews how to dive into the coins <laughs> and this kid is fucking set this is her fan fictioning this yeah tommy is actually one of the huey dewey and louis <laughs> Yeah, so this lady doesn't like Kim. She's just like, oh, she'll never show her face in this town again because Dan Hoffman is so wonderful. Everybody thinks that she ran off with some dude and left Tommy behind and her husband. This is such a testament to how, what it's like to be a woman in a situation like this. Because mm -hmm. it's like, mm, I didn't see anything at the grocery store, so. I didn't have that experience with him, so I can't. You're like, okay. I don't know. Do you believe her? I don't know. She's crazy. And it's, oh, that shit. I when know, it dude. starts to, mm mm. Okay. Okay. Benson goes and meets with Tommy. She took all these photos and made a cute little book for him. Benson is flipping through the photos. When she shows him a photo of Kim, Tommy actually talks and he says, That's my mom. And I was like, <gasps> His little voice. I know. And his little freckles and shit. Oh, Tommy says that his dad, you know, Dan Hoffman, told him that his mom, Kim, ran away and that she didn't love them anymore. <sighs> garbage he says jill left once too but came back for him tommy says he and jill ran away from his dad he yeah. was like going into detail he was like we were gonna get a new house far mm -hmm. away where my dad could never find us and then yeah. you just hear this fucking loud man in the distance yelling tommy and tommy jumps like he's startled and he's like oh my god my he's like my dad's He's here. Yeah. This kid this kid is in the same house. He's actually confirming mm -hmm. what we should have believed in the first place. Well, so, we yeah, all when, did. Well, we did. We all did. Any man. Any. So Dan Hoffman, this dude is best known for his role as Kyle McBride in Melrose Place. He's got a ton of shit on his acting roster. He's a, but he's a babe and I hate it. He's a super babe. Yeah. Yeah, he is. But that's mm -hmm. part of the reason why everybody fucking believes him. Mm -hmm. He's got that fucking pretty privilege. Mm-hmm. So Just, he, why, why don't you fuck off? Why don't you why don't you come here and tell me to my face that you're a piece of shit? Why don't you tell me right on the mouth? Tell me on the fucking mouth. <laughs> what is that thing that that TikTok where that guy's like, come take my guns, you fucking liberal pussies. Come take my gun. Come kiss me for it <laughs> with your soft liberal hands. It's like, why don't you <laughs> like, why don't you caress my back and pull my hair a little bit for it? Not hard, just a little bit so I didn't know I'm still safe. 
Yeah. I wish I could find it because he's so intense about it too. Yeah, I saw I saw it recently. It popped back up for me recently. If you see it, send it to me. And I feel like he's got like a little chew, like, a, like a dip in his lip, like a chew, a, a yeah. chaw or whatever. And, I was, <laughs> and it makes it even better. Come kiss me for it. <laughs> um, Let's do that thing where... <laughs> We pause for a really long time and looking at each other's lips, knowing what's about to ensue. <laughs> yeah, he busts in. He's banging on the glass. And Stabler and Wong are like, whoa, chill out. Yeah. Dan fucking hands Stabler a piece of paper. And he busts in the room. And Benson's like, fucking chill out. Slow down. And he's like, fuck that. And Benson's like, hey, Tommy, you don't have to go with him. And then Stabler comes in. And he's like, this piece of paper says he's released to his dad. Mm-hmm. He has to go. Yeah. And fucking Dan picks him up and you and turns around and walks off and you see Tommy's little face. But Tommy is such a good little actor here. So yeah, his dad picks him up and he's carrying him out, but he doesn't hold on to his dad the way a yeah. kid would like put his arms around his parent or somebody picking them up. He's got his little paws up like when you hold a kitten away from your body and it's like, ah. Yeah, and his little he face was, is like, ah. And he was like trying, Dan was like trying to hold him to his body and Tommy was like, because he doesn't feel safe. It's just such a good little mm-hmm. thing to put in there. Just a little, like, indicator. Right. So now Cabot, Benson, Stabes, and Cragen are in Cragen's office. Cabot is very upset. She says that Hoffman's lawyer is threatening a suit for emotional distress because the team withheld Tommy's location from him. And Stabes is like, distress my ass. Hoffman didn't even file a missing persons report. And he's trying to jack us up. And uh-huh. he makes the best fucking face on the spectrum of that facial expression, meaning, wow, this person has some fucking nerve. You know the face I'm talking about yeah stabler's look was at 100 he was like (laughs) (laughs) can i send it to you or are you gonna be mad just send it to me i'm gonna post it because i obviously took a photo of it like he's fully open mouth locked and cocked jaw eyebrows way up almost laughing but like with rage (laughs) it's like (laughs) (laughs) oh so Benny's like, well, yeah, maybe we didn't call for a couple hours. <laughs> like, barely mm-hmm. didn't let him know that we had his kid. Like, <laughs> hardly at all. And Cabot's not having that. And she's like, you guys played it fucking fast and loose, and you got caught. And they're like, that's how we play things. <laughs> Benson's like, we just have to re-interview Tommy, okay? Hoffman mm-hmm. interrupted us, and Tommy was about to tell me a bunch of shit. Yeah. I mean, but they don't have anything on Dan except their, like, gut instincts. They ha- Again, Cabot's in this position where she's like, I need stuff, you fucking turds. Yeah. They're like, we need to be able to prove that Dan Hoffman's a fucking murderer, and Tommy's the material witness to the murder. Mm-hmm. Cabot. And she's like, yeah, fucking broken record. Go get me some more evidence. Like, I need, I can't do anything. As per usual, she needs them to do their jobs. Like, what are you fucking... And they're like, why? Don't you get it? We have to fucking shit on you first to get all of our emotions out, and then we can go find the evidence. You're our punching bag. Can't you think of something from all the research and studying that you've done so we don't have to think. Yeah, that's what you're here for. At the Hoffman residence back in Rye, Benny, Stabes, and Hoffman are in a fancy library office. Like the exact description Will Ferrell gave in Anchorman. It was, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes. It was It was rich mahogany, leather-bound books. Did it, it was very much that. I'm yeah. scouring the background for that fucking Clinton 8x10. All right. <laughs> so Benny and Stabes are giving this guy bullshit apologies as he's threatening a lawsuit. They're like, oh, man, we, we can't believe the position you're in. So sorry. Oh, my mm. God. We really fucked up. It's obviously to disarm him by feeding into his mediocre white guy entitlement, you know? Mm-hmm. And it immediately works because he's stupid. And Stabler relates to him on a, you guessed it, dad <laughs> level. Mm-hmm. Stabler's like, as a father, I can only imagine how terrible this is for you. Fucking got him. <gasps> it's crazy because his face, too, was like looked at him. And he's like, another human is a dad? Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for understanding. And you're like, wow. You know how many people are dads? Like, this isn't crazy. So many people are dads. So many people don't even know their dads. He's like, he's like, wait a second. You're a dad, too? Oh, my God. What? Are there more? I'm a dad. Is there, is there- is there a convention? Oh my God, I'd love to meet more people like me. This is crazy. I thought I was alone in the world. There are dozens of us. <laughs> dozens. Benson uses this disarmed moment as an opportunity to ask to speak with Tommy. And Hoffman gets defensive again right away and says, um, no, I'm trying to protect my son. Mm-hmm. And to Stabler, he, he goes up to Stabler's face and he's like, you of all people, another dad should understand that. Remember the rare breed? <laughs> we are dads. 
But Benny calls him on his protective dad bullshit by mentioning how strange it was that when Tommy and Jill were missing for a month, he told people that Tommy was in Florida. Mm -hmm. And then here comes the fucking bullshit. This is that thing where it's like, he's got an answer for everything. They even say it later in the episode. You got an answer for everything, don't you? I fucking hate that term. That's what responding is. But like, I get it. I get what they're saying. Hoffman says that he lied to protect Jill's reputation because she was emotionally unstable. Oh, God, I want to fucking punch a hole in the wall. Oh, God. I want to just anger fuck this guy. He didn't call the cops. <laughs> he didn't call the cops. <laughs> he didn't call the cops. Did you write that down? No. <laughs> oh, God. I love that. Okay. <laughs> he didn't call the cops because he thought he'd set Jill off. She's run before and always came back. So he was just waiting it out. On the night of the murder, the Hoff, which is what I'm assuming he makes other people call him. <laughs> He was at a big real estate dinner in the city. He says he was there with 500 other people, which could support his alibi. Because mm-hmm. everybody's looking at you. Sure, Hoff. Yeah. Uh, all these people knew I was there. So Benson and Stabler go to this open house because they, they got to get this guy's alibi confirmed, right? This fucking lady. Oh, my God. <laughs> they talk to this real estate agent. Who is thirsty for Dan. She is just... 25-year-old me. <laughs> So they're talking to this real estate agent. She sat next to Dan at the dinner that night, the night of the murder. And she says, well, how could I forget handsome man like that? And he came without a date. I pictured her as like Betty Boop, kind of Mm. the way she spoke. She said that he told her he was going to go grab a drink and never made it back to their table. He'd promised her a dance. So she was kind of bummed about it. But then she saw him later that night at 11 p.m. I have to admit, I was a little jealous because he was all sweaty and his hair and clothes were messed up. And immediately I was like, ah, the old fucking on the coats defense. But (laughs) she meant he had been footloosing with somebody else, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then she excuses herself because some other people walk in the door to look at the house and whatever. Uh Benny says to Stabes, he had time to sneak out, do the murder and get back to tango. Oh, my God. All right. I think I I blocked that out because I don't remember that. Oh, my God. My brain probably just went like survive. (laughs) (laughs) They think that the alibi is super weak and Cabot will do her magic with the gaps at the hearing because they will bring her a minimal amount of shit. And she mm-hmm. will do something with it. They bring her. What is that story? What is that book? It's a kid's book. It's called like Rock Soup or something. I don't know. <laughs> Where they're like, oh, I can make soup out of this rock. And then they convince whoever's making the soup is like, oh. go get me some onions. Go get me some carrots. Go get me some whatever. And the rock has nothing to do with it. That's yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious rock soup. Remember? And it was a lesson. It was a lesson in manipulation. That's what I took away from it. And now I can get anybody to do anything I want. Yeah. (laughs) But all you know how to do is be like, somebody give me an onion. And you're like, (laughs) you're like, fuck, I need like $40,000. But that's the only thing I know how to say. (laughs) Fuck, I need like (laughs) $40,000. Potato. (laughs) Fuck. Now we're in chambers of Judge Ridenour. He's the walrus guy, right? He's the walrus. Yeah. Yeah. I am the walrus. Cuckoo, cuckoo. (laughs) <laughs> Cabot Hoffman and Hoffman's lawyer. <gasps> Fucking Hoffman's lawyer? I always forget her name, but I love her and I had a motorcycle named after her. Oh my God. She... <laughs> <laughs> this is Sandra Bernhard. I That's mean, it. you can go through her IMDb all you want. I thought you were going to freak out because you're like, and she was in Roseanne. But like, I don't even need to go through her credits. She's a fucking legend. She's an icon. An icon. And she is a fucking amazing. I adore this woman. Yeah. I say it like it's a unique trait. If you don't love Sandra Bernhard, fuck you. <laughs> yeah this lady's a fucking bad bitch i just love her i love how she's just like all up in the lgbtq community as well yeah my think- last motorcycle was named after her yep the purple 71 cb mm, okay sandy b sandy b so yeah they're talking about tommy's interview and evaluation the judge doesn't want anyone talking to tommy after there's been a full psyche veil because he's been through a lot hoffman's lawyer is fighting with them about huang doing the eval because he's linked to the nypd and hoffman has already been going to a child psychiatrist so they're gonna wait for his eval from that doctor and then the judge agrees with dan that tommy shouldn't have to see two doctors he shouldn't have to go through this twice mm-hmm. cabot asked for tommy to be put in foster care since he's an eyewitness to a murder that could have probably been committed by hoffman hoffman and his lawyer argue that he would never hurt jill and that she was a quote unstable woman who was mad because dan wanted a divorce so the fucking judge decides tommy will, will remain in dan's custody 
just fucking stupid. wild. After the judge leaves, Dan's lawyer asks Cabot what she can do to convince her that Dan is a kind and gentle man and would never hurt anybody. Cabot's like, have him talk to the fucking police. In the precinct, Stabler is interviewing Dan Hoffman while Benson watches. Stabler asks him about the time gap the night of the murder. He says he went to the bar. Benson's like, try again. The bartender doesn't remember you. And he says, yeah, duh, there are so many people. We all know that NYC bartenders remember everyone. Because we're in this universe, Dan. So he says he went outside to talk to people, but there's nobody that can support it. And he's like, yeah, I didn't take anybody's ID. We were talking about Yankees. You know what I mean? Right. I didn't get anybody's name. Dan says he wanted Tommy back and wouldn't hurt Jill or Tommy. If he knew where Jill lived, he would have gone there and convinced her to come home. Mm. And then he's like, if she wanted to leave, that's fine. But she's not taking my fucking son. Benny gets in his face and shows his fucking abuser bullshit. Mm. And he does this angry pre-explosion whisper, which is way scarier to me than yelling and he goes you wouldn't dare talk to me like that if you didn't have a badge and gun yeah and i'm and like i was like oh. yeah and she was like yeah i fucking would yeah i could break your arm if you fucking swung at me dude yeah she was like in his face and was like you fucking killed jill you left your son in an apartment that was on fire your son is terrified of you and he's like i'll kill you in the precinct, Benson and Stabler are kind of doing a walk and talk with some coffee, talking about the interview. They noticed that Dan didn't use Tommy and Jill's name in the interview. He talked about them like possessions. My wife, my son. There's no proof from the interview that he knew where Jill and Tommy were. Of course, then Munch shows up. Jill opened a bank account under Dana McGuire's name and only made cash withdrawals and deposited checks she made working at Benny's Topless Strip Club. And then they get eyebrows from Munch because of the topless club. Shut up. Yeah. It's like, oh, it, they were just judgment eyebrows and I hate it. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe she wasn't stable. She's a stripper. You're like, okay. Oh. At Benny's Topless on 12th. Hey, Benny's. I'm just going to say the Topless Club because I don't want to confuse it because Benson doesn't. You get it. Benny mm-hmm. and Stabes are in the dancer's dressing room chatting with one of Jill's co-workers. Who I love. I love her too. <laughs> um, Just big curly red hair. Terrible makeup, but she's amazing. Mm-hmm. There's a cockatoo on a perch like it's fucking normal. Just like hanging out in the mirror. <laughs> For some reason. Yeah. She tells them that Jill was a terrible dancer, but the suburban commuters were into her because she looked like Susie Homemaker. She goes, one guy said it was like having June Cleaver give you a lap dance. She wore fucking oven mitts and held a pot roast the entire time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But was she like crying because she didn't belong there? Is that what you're trying to say? Like, it was so hot. She was, she was like, (laughs) she was just just wrangling three kids on the stage trying to get him. It's bedtime. She's like dropping ass in somebody's face doing needlepoint on the other side. fucking slides vagina first to the edge of the stage into somebody's face to grab a dollar and it's like fresh warm cookie (laughs) okay she's like geez i need a glass of wine (laughs) she irons to cherry pie (laughs) (laughs) jill Jill quit the club a week before because she saw someone from the town she used to live in. And the coworker goes, I remember it because it was the night I introduced the cockatoo into my act. And it's like, what is that about? And since when do like strip clubs have acts? Like a like, full, do- like an app. Is it magic? Does she do magician <laughs> kink stuff? Like, what is she doing? <laughs> just go out there and do the splits and guys will fucking just throw money at you. They're stupid. Maybe, maybe she has the cockatoo collect the money it's i don't know cute and it's cute yeah you know what you know what people go to strip clubs for adorable animal it's like (laughs) the cockatoo's like show them your pussy (laughs) 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 lap dance lap dance twenty dollars twenty (laughs) dollars my neighbors are probably like what the fuck polly want a cock Let's move on. Why does on. anybody listen to us? <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> anyone still listening. <laughs> Benson and Stabler are going to go check with the credit card receipts to see who came in from Jill's town. Right. Mm-hmm. So they must have found something or had Munch do it. They're now in an office talking to the dude that Jill saw at the strip club. His name is mm-hmm. Rizzo, and he's pathetic. Okay. <laughs> 
He's like, oh, geez, guys, don't tell my wife. She thinks I work a lot of overtime. Fucking piece of shit. This dude was in season two as an IAB investigator. He's also been in nine episodes of Law & Order Regular. Okay. Okay. He knows Dan Hoffman. He wanted Hoffman to see her because she was a dead ringer for his wife. Rizzo called the Hoff on his way home from the club. I thought he'd get a kick out of it. Put her in an apron baking cookies. Half the town would swear it was Jill. (laughs) That was literally a line he said. I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Now we're in Cabot's office. Benson and Stabler tell Cabot about Dan finding out about Jill working at the Benny strip club. The evidence against Dan is all circumstantial, but it is enough for an arrest. But Cabot doesn't think they'll survive the grand jury and they won't find him guilty because he acts like such a good dad and everyone is fooled by it. Cabot wants to do this like silent indictment Mm -hmm. because some of the info will be part of the investigation. So she won't have to notify Dan about it. Right. If they were to arrest him, he would have access to all of the information at the grand jury, which means that they could, you know, be prepared to fight them on some things that they don't want them to know about. So if they don't arrest him and they're just like, well, this is just a part of the investigation, then they don't have to disclose everything. Yeah, because it's part of the investigation. Because I mean, yeah, right. So Cabot's going to indict him in the morning and get that done at the grand jury. So then Benny and Stabes can arrest him. So now we're at the Hoffman house. Benson and Stabler go to arrest Hoffman. Tommy's out playing fucking soccer and he sees Benson and he's so happy. He runs over to her. Dan comes out of the house and calls Tommy inside. Bitching at them for being there. Yeah. He's got this like Cosby sweater, but only from the shoulders up and I fucking hate it and I hate him. And I hate Cosby. (laughs) Hot take. (laughs) Yeah. Tommy looks freaked out and Benson's like, hey, show me some of your moves, kid. And they like walk away to kick her on the ball. Dan comes outside pissed. Stabler puts him in handcuffs and dude's like, you can't prove anything. And then I wrote, fuck his sweater, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he literally says you can't prove anything. Not like I didn't do anything. I didn't, you know. Mm-hmm. Now we're in court. Dan is being charged with murder in the second degree. Of course, he pleads not guilty. The bail is 100K cash or bond. Dan's lawyer. Why Why do I always forget her fucking name in real life? Sandra Bernhardt. Okay. Yeah. Dan's lawyer, Sandra Bernhardt, wants a speedy trial because Cabot didn't give them the information right away. And she doesn't like how she handled the grand jury with the silent indictment. Cabot starts being like, well, I don't have to because blah, blah, blah. And the judge jumps in. He's like, I'm aware of the law, Miss Cabot. I'm also aware of your reputation for bending it Mm. earlier in the judge's office he had said a child's mental health is at risk and cabot says a child's mental health is at risk your words we didn't want to further traumatize tommy yeah the best cabot line in this scene is when sandra bernhardt is like he is a single dad and he can't confront his accuser painting him as this victim and cabot's like well he wouldn't be a single dad if he hadn't killed his wife (laughs) yeah the judge was like chill out but also a good one (laughs) when walrus judge is talking about i know how you like to bend things to get away with shit i don't know how he can consider that as part of shitting on cabot if it's legal like what she did was legal so right i don't know how can you be like "Mm, you did a legal thing but i didn't like it because it favored you and not it's like then fix the law then fix the law if you have a problem with it instead of punishing cabot for knowing the law Right. Dan's lawyer tries to get the statements made by Jill to the domestic violence hotline taken out of evidence because Dan couldn't confront his fucking accuser, Jill, who's dead. And the judge fucking grants it. He grants the motion to remove the statement. I mean, this is their entire fucking case. Yeah. In the precinct, Cabot goes over the motion to remove statements with Craig. And this case is in serious trouble. Dan's lawyer could just write Jill's murder off as a home invasion. She lived in kind of a shitty neighborhood. Benson is convinced that Tommy will tell her what happened. But the judge ruled for them to not talk to Tommy. What are they going to do? Craig says they could subpoena Tommy for trial. He would have to take the stand, which would suck. But Cabot thinks Hoffman may have already coached Tommy what to say. Yeah. Cabot says it's risky to put an already traumatized child on the stand. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Donnelly would fucking love it. But. Donnie Lee would be like, the harder he cries, the longer I live. Yeah, she... (laughs) Every tear is... Donnelly actually lives in a gingerbread house out in the middle of the woods. Mm -hmm. Child's tears are her fountain of youth. Mother knows best. (laughs) They're like, could Kim Hoffman talk to Tommy? Yeah, Tommy's bio mom, but they don't know where she is. Yeah, and Stabler is like, well, she either fell into a black hole or was also murdered by Dan. I'm guessing she was murdered by Dan. Mm. Kim's social security number has no activity and she hasn't filed taxes since she disappeared. Craigan wants them to find someone that knew Kim. Somebody has to. Yeah. Well, I guess they found somebody. So Benny and Stabes start going around the neighborhood. Now they're across the street 
with Alan Wheaton. He's this active looking older dude tending to his lawn in a Newsies cap. I love, I love this him. guy. He's he's Stabler when he's older. Yeah. Like Stabler's like, I need to grow out a little salt and pepper mustache. Keep this hat that I wear sometimes. Take care of my front yard. Pay a lot of attention to what's happening around. I mean, this guy was the quintessential, what's going on over there, neighbor. Yeah. So they ask him, how long have you lived across the street from the Hoffmans? And he goes, 10 years before they moved in. So he knows everything from beginning to end. He mm -hmm. said that he wasn't surprised that they can't find anybody that really knew Kim. He says her husband had her terrified. I'd wave at her and she'd look over her shoulder to make sure he wasn't watching before she waved back. Mm -hmm. Kim always had bruises and one time had a fucking broken arm. He thinks that Hoffman killed Kim because one night a black van showed up and someone was filling it with trash bags. And the next day, Kim was gone. So he tells him, I called the cops, gave him the license plate. Uh-oh, back to Dan's fucking buddy at the station. Mm -hmm. So now at the Rye PD, Benny and Stabes are talking to that same cop from before, the one who verbally sucks Dan's wiener for some reason. <laughs> yeah. And this is when I was like, he is the LeFou to Hoffman's Gaston. Oh my God. Dan's not a killer. He eats five dozen eggs. Yeah. And he's so pissed and he's got his hands on his hips. So, you know, he means business. He's like so fucking mad this whole time. He's swaying the entire conversation. No one slick as Gaston. No one quick as Gaston. Definitely. They have a file on the plates that Wheaton reported, even though this cop says Wheaton's the quote neighborhood watch like he thinks he's Columbo. Mm -hmm. There was a black van. Just whatever. A I woman know. disappeared the next day. Okay. He's so sassy pissed. Yeah. The plates on the van came back to Dawn Trent. She's a soccer mom from Port Chester who had been delivering Girl Scout cookies. And I'm like, the middle of the night? Mm -hmm. Okay. Since the case was closed, the cop let SVU have the file. He's like, yeah, whatever, take it. Just because we're not the almighty NYPD. Blah, blah, blah. Like, fuck and off. it's like, you ignored somebody reporting a person missing and then suspicious activity happening before they were gone. At night, mm -hmm. in exchange for garbage bags? Yeah, they got to talk to Dawn. Mm -hmm. No one's neck is incredibly thick as Gaston. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, they need to call a fucking Cabot because they have some tea. Tea, 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 tea. Okay. Now we're at Dawn Trent's residence. She's adorable. Dawn Trent is Caroline from 16 Candles. I don't remember. I, I, I haven't seen that in a long time. She plays Jake's girlfriend, the most popular girl in school. The one who, oh my God, it's, such, it's so fucking problematic. Is she the character who like gets super fucked up? And then and they like cut her hair because it's cut. It's in the, the door. And then they're all going to try to go in there and have sex with her, even though she's like passed out. And then like she ends up hooking up with the nerd or whatever. And she's like, I don't remember, but that's OK. Yeah. Yeah. Don Trent says she doesn't know Dan. She's like awkwardly holding like a huge, heavy ass pile of cookies. <laughs> and her turtleneck is really tight. Like this is like housewife central here. Mm -hmm. Not that that's bad. I'm just saying you can hear kids in the back in the yard, whatever. Stabler tells Don that she'll be an accessory to murder and shows her a picture of Kim and tells her that they're looking into her disappearance. Don pauses and she's like, uh, I don't know. I don't know her. And he's like, you're a liar. Where's Kim's body? And then he says that witnesses place you at their house mm -hmm. the night that Kim disappeared. Like mm -hmm. you're cornered, bitch. Right. And she's like, all right. Dawn says she helped Kim leave. Dawn is part of this group that provides shelter and money to those who are trying to get away from men like Dan. Mm -hmm. She's not an accessory to murder. She's a fucking ride or die for battered women. Yeah. Yeah. So this lady is, is a bad bitch. Yeah. So the group helped Kim by hiding her and passing her along to other women in the network. She had to leave Tommy because she was going to die. Dan was going to fucking kill her. Mm-hmm. Her hope was that she could get Tommy after she got her shit together. Dawn has no idea where she is. She's, she's like, all of these women only know the person that is the next link in the chain, which mm -hmm. I love. Yeah. I'm like full on chills right now. Yeah. She only knows who helped Kim next, not where she is. So then they have a montage. Yeah, there's like a montage of all of these different women. The second woman is a nurse that picked her up from a bus station and drove her to Poughkeepsie. The third tells them Kim was living on a farm outside of Woodstock, and then she helped her move again. The fourth is a woman who helped her settle into Torrington, New York. The last this woman heard was Kim was still there working in a dry cleaning place. This series of women helping women gave me full mm -hmm. chills, but mm -hmm. but also like then I get full of rage because I'm like, why the fuck does this have to exist? Mm -hmm. Now we're at the dry cleaner. 
Benson and Stabler are at the front register. It's Kim. Kim goes by Jane and she totally denies that she's Kim until Stabler tells her he needs to talk to her about Tommy. They go into the back of the dry cleaners to talk. She's fucking upset, of course. She starts to tell Stabler about how badly Dan used to beat her. It was just awful. She went back to Rye once and saw Tommy and Jill playing in the front yard and he looked so happy. He was calling her mom and she was like, okay, maybe he's just better off. And she left, you know? I can't imagine that. I can't even. No. I mean, and she was telling, I mean, this was like painful for her to talk about. Right. She's extremely upset. She says that she can't face him. Tommy, mm-hmm. that is. She thinks Tommy will never understand why she left and worries that he won't love her anymore. Stabler asks her to testify to help Tommy. Dan is going to be acquitted if she doesn't. If Dan is acquitted, Tommy will go back. Then Stabler says, you have to risk your pain to save Tommy's life, which I'm like, I don't want, <sighs> like, who the fuck, <sighs> whatever. What, 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 what? Because I loved that. Oh, well, I was just like, don't tell a fucking abused woman that she, what she has to do with her pain. Like, yeah, I get that. I know. Yeah, I get that. But I hear that as like, yeah, like it's time. It's time. Yeah. I heard that as like, hey, you're the only one, like you're the one with the power here and you've got to push through that fear. I looked at it more as like a, like a Mickey and Rocky situation. Yeah. I just was like. But I get that, though. The, yeah. the I wasn't into it. Don't tell a woman with PTSD from years of abuse to Who like, what literally she has like, to had to be passed around to other women for safety mm-hmm. for years. Oh, fuck that. Yeah, she crushed this scene, though, dude. She mm-hmm. was amazing. Now we're at the trial. So here we are. Hoffman's on the stand. Lawyer Sandy B is guiding him through the most enraging fucking testimony. Mm-hmm. He says that Jill worked in his office and they dated after Kim went missing. She was so great and pursued him by offering to cook and babysit and shit. Then after they got married, he saw another side of Jill. She had a mm-hmm. bad temper. OMG, one time I didn't praise her enough and she lost her shit and threw meatloaf all over the walls and Tommy was terrified. And the camera cuts to the classic Cabot eye roll. Just love her. I they took like, a picture of it. You I did? Took a picture of the eye roll, yeah. Because <laughs> she me, rolled so her can... eyes so hard. Hold on, let me see. I almost sent it to you last night, but then I was like, I'll wait till we're Anytime before. a man is on the stand saying some shit, she just cannot. He goes on to say that he told Jill he wanted a divorce. One day, Tommy didn't come home from school and he realized, and he pauses to muster up some not tears, Jill uh-huh. had taken him with her. This whole time he's on the stand, they're cutting to women in the jury box that seem to be sympathizing with him. And I was yeah. really analyzing these women. I'm, I'm like, are they cutting to them because these women are going to find out what a piece of shit he is and they're going to not support him? Or are they cutting to these women because they're like, I don't even hear what he's saying because I want to fuck this guy and I'm on his <laughs> side. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Now it's Cabot's turn, and she does not put up with his shit. She goes, so you're the victim here, Mr. Hoffman? Why didn't you file a missing persons report? And Dan was like, I was scared that Jill would do something crazy and okay. hurt Tommy. OMG. Right. Do you want to see crazy? Call call a woman crazy again. I'll show you fucking crazy. Right. Cabot gets super fucking fired up too and goes, OMG, so weird. When you heard about a stripper that looked exactly like your missing wife, you wouldn't go looking there. And then <gasps> she was killed a few days later. So weird, right? And he's like, mm-hmm. oh, no, that didn't happen. And that's not what I did. Mm-hmm. He denies everything, keeps playing the victim. Cabot's head detaches from her body and it rolls out of the courtroom. She's just fucking done yeah done yet he's like if i knew where she worked tommy would be home safe with me instead of watching jill get murdered by some maniac we're like you're the fucking maniac you are whatever outside the courtroom stabler and kim are sitting on a bench oh benson brings little tommy over to see kim and the music oh my god the music he knows who she is he says he has her picture and then tells her that she missed his birthday so she apologizes to him and then she also tells him that she did see his soccer match last year and saw him score that big goal and he's like i'm so happy Kim tells him she didn't see him because she was scared. And Tommy says, of dad? And she says, yes. Tommy tells Kim that Dan scares him too. Mm. And Kim promises that she won't leave ever again. In the courtroom, (laughs) Tommy is called to... What? Just the scene. Yeah. In the courtroom, Tommy is called to the stand. Benson, Kim, and Tommy walking together. And Dan is like, um, okay, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. 
Tommy takes the stand and Dan like looks at him like, don't you fucking say shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Tommy doesn't talk because he's nervous. The judge is like, Tom, hello, Tom, you know? And then he's like, Tommy is in no state to testify. Because he couldn't even state his name. You know, he was frozen because of... Yeah, he's a little, he's fucking six, dude. Uh, and he, you would so, think that he would be virtual or something or they would, yeah. you know, do it in a different location or at least somebody would stand in front of his dad so he didn't make eye contact with yeah. the possible person he saw murder. He's a six-year-old. Okay. Right. So Tommy starts to get off the stand with Cabot and he walks past Dan and then Dan says I love you Tommy. Tommy stops and looks over at him and says you killed Jill. (gasps) Then Tommy looks up at Cabot and he's like I'm ready. I can do it now. He wants to testify and he goes back on the stand fucking Toyota. He's so brave He's so brave (laughs) Toyota Tommy. He's so brave Woof Scott and Jennifer Magnano were married on November 21st, 1992, about a year after having their son, David. Jennifer also had her daughter, Jessica, from a previous relationship. Scott and Jennifer built this big, beautiful family home in Terryville, Connecticut. So on the outside, appearances, lovely, okay? Mm-hmm. He had a good reputation, et cetera, et cetera. Inside that house, Scott made life hell for his wife and kids. He was verbally abusive for years. And after their youngest child, Emily, was born in 1998, he got physical. The first time it happened, Scott was bitching at Jennifer, saying he wasn't happy in the marriage and whatever. Jennifer replied by telling him they could get divorced after the kids graduate. Scott Mm -hmm. took her into their bedroom and strangled her. And she later said that she thought she was going to die. Fuck. There were rules for absolutely everything they did. The whole family, the kids, Jennifer, washing their hands, walking through a room, how they arranged things, everything had a rule to it. And if they slipped up, there were major consequences. Like this guy was on a hair trigger, eggshells. The kids were often required to be in the playroom. This one room in the house where their toys were not allowed to leave for hours, sometimes an entire day. They couldn't leave to go to the bathroom, get a snack. They rarely saw their mom because she was kept busy doing what Scott wanted when he wanted it at all Mm -hmm. times they were all under his thumb all the time the kids were terrified of him jessica also said the oldest jennifer's daughter from a previous relationship Mm -hmm. she also said that between the ages of 18 and 21 scott sexually abused her on top of the other forms of abuse from 18 to 21 from 18 to 21 because she lived in the house Mm -hmm. Uh, a very heartbreaking part about it is that he would make jennifer Like, he would send for Jessica through Jennifer. So Jennifer would go into Jessica's room and say, Scott wants to see you. And Jessica was mad at her mom for a long time. And she was like, you know what he's going to do. And she goes, I'm sorry. I know. I mean, they were in such an abusive situation. On April 14th, 2007, Jennifer had had enough. Scott was ranting because the microwave wasn't working in his mom's place. So his mom, the the way the house was set up, his mom had like a, it was this big giant house and the bottom floor, like basement level, bottom floor was like an in-law suite. uh, So she had her own apartment. So his mom lived there. Mm -hmm. So he's, you know, ranting because his mom's microwave wasn't working. He went to the playroom to tell the kids they needed to be completely quiet because he was a psycho on a fucking hair trigger. Like he's upset about the microwave. So he goes in. He's like, you guys better shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear any noise. Nothing. Jessica looked at him in a way that he didn't like or something in response. And he slapped her across the face. Mm-hmm. After this happened, he left to go, whatever. Jennifer came to the doorway and whispered to the kids, we're leaving tonight. Mm-hmm. Scott took these excessively long showers. So Jennifer had decided when he got in the shower, they would get in the van and go. At this point, Jessica was 21, David was 16, and Emily was nine. She told the kids to quietly gather some garbage bags of their things. And when it was time, they all piled into the van. Jennifer rolled it down the driveway in neutral. I mean, this is how scared she was. And they got the fuck out of there and made it to a Motel 6. Once they got there, Jennifer was trying to get help for her family. She was trying to get them into a local shelter. But because she had an adult daughter and a male child, there wasn't anywhere that could accommodate her. And she wasn't about to split them up. Yeah, She felt that there was nothing they could do to stay safe in Connecticut. So they left with what little they had and took a three-day train to California. They had no food, barely any clothes. Like, they didn't have anything. Right. 
And before they left, Jennifer made a report to the Plymouth police for the physical abuse and the sexual abuse against Jessica. Yeah. In California, they were able to get accepted into Haven Hills Shelter in Van Nuys, which is a neighborhood in L.A. if you're not familiar. Mm -hmm. It was the only place in the country that they could find that would take all of them together. So living at the California shelter, they I saw this interview with the kids and they had never had less, but were free and happy and healing living with some peace for the first time in their life. I saw Jessica talking about it and she was like, we had nothing. And Mm -hmm. it was the best time of our lives. Like seeing our mom happy for the first time, like being able to do things without the fear of ridiculous repercussions for the smallest things. It was incredible. While this was going on, Jennifer wasn't wasting time. She was making moves to get divorced and get custody. And she was able to get a restraining order against Scott while they were in Los Angeles. Over in Connecticut, Scott was taking out credit cards and getting cash advances in Jennifer's name to the tune of $80,000. He was also getting the Connecticut courts on his side. He filed for custody of the two youngest kids, David and Emily, his biological kids. Mm -hmm. In a handwritten affidavit he filed, Scott said, quote, she has an unreasonable fear that something bad could happen to her or the children, but this is unfounded and not true. The courts completely disregarded the police reports made by Jennifer and granted child custody to Scott. No fucking way. Yeah. No fucking way. Mm -hmm. Jennifer begged to be able to fight it from California, but Connecticut courts insisted she had to go back and fight it in person. And that's where he kills her because just like in Enough, he's like, Mm. yeah, you have to go there to do it and he most likely will kill you and that's just the way it works so with threats of like you will be charged with kidnapping and taking your kids across state lines all this shit so she's like all right i gotta do what the court says what year was this this was 2007 so this is not what influenced the episode this that was just influenced by like i said before when we were doing the episode this is just one of many many examples but there were a lot of parallels with this in the episode so that's why i chose this one so jennifer went back to connecticut got herself a good lawyer and ended up getting custody she was granted her divorce and she also won the family home but she didn't plan on staying there on august 22nd she went with the kids and a police escort to pick some things up from the house on the 23rd she called police again because they were going to go back and a light she had left on and curtains she had opened were now off and closed and she was abundantly cautious so the police came and walked through the house again remember scott's mom's place downstairs mm-hmm. yeah grandma wouldn't let the cops do a walkthrough of her space so they skipped it because it was a separate dwelling technically mm-hmm. oh, no. police left and a few hours later there was scott he had been hiding in his mom's apartment and david the son saw him with a gun and later said that he had the look in his eye quote like the look that he always had in his eye when he was about to be violent when he was about to hit her when he was about to threaten us Uh scott grabbed jennifer by the hair as she begged him to not do it in front of the kids he dragged her down the brick steps at the front entrance of the home by her hair as david and emily chased him and he told them if they tried to call 911 he'd come back and shoot all of them as david got to the top of the stairs he heard a shot it was later told to him that there were actually seven or eight shots but after that first shot he blacked out and had no memory of anything after that other than the image of his mom lying on the stairs oh my fucking god Jennifer died nearly immediately. She was 42. Scott fled the scene and he died by suicide not much later. Oh my God, he got fucking away. Mm -hmm. No. And the grossest thing about it is that this end could have been prevented. After she initially reported the assault on her and her oldest daughter, Jessica, police could have obtained an arrest warrant and had been in contact with Jennifer in California where she was safe. Instead, Mm -hmm. she was forced to go back to Connecticut, okay, Mm -hmm. so that she wouldn't be arrested for kidnapping and whatever bullshit. With the efforts of Jessica, David, and Emily, on June 4th, 2021, Jennifer's law was expanded to include coercive control in Connecticut. Mm. An article from Medical News Today defined coercive control as, quote, a form of domestic abuse or intimate partner violence. It describes a pattern of behaviors a perpetrator uses to gain control and power by eroding a person's autonomy and self-esteem. This can include acts of intimidation, threats, and humiliation, end quote. So when people use these tactics, there are a lot of rules that are imposed, just like Scott did. And using these tactics that build over time, they can escalate to physical abuse and, of course, as well as... murder so these kids are advocates they're doing what they can to keep their mom's name being more than just a statistic if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence you can call 1-800-799-7233 we also have a link to the national domestic violence hotline website in the show notes on svp 
wpod.com. How do I not know about that? Because it's a drop in the fucking bucket. Yeah. I almost did this about OJ because he was mentioned in Mm -hmm. the episode. But again, I was like, everything is so saturated with OJ not to take away from his victims at all. But I wanted to tell a story of another victim who needs her name to be said again. All right. Well, um, next week we are in season four, episode 19, Appearances. Okay. So, (laughs) sorry, Tasha. A nine-year-old pageant princess is raped and murdered. I'm done. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, yeah, this is this is just um, Jean Benet Ramsey. How much do you know about Jean Benet? Uh, something about melons and stuff, or like pineapple. She was found, pineapple. She was found in the. They think it's the brother or something. Yeah, or? there's a lot of different. Well, that's a specific documentary that um, goes there with that. But yeah, it's obviously the chaser is going to be Jean Benet. But I like to know how much you know about something because sometimes when it's like a very very big thing in the zeitgeist, you're like. Yeah, I don't really know about like the Menendez brothers shit where you're like, I don't really know about it. And I'm like, so then I get more excited because with Jean Benet, I'm like, do I just skim over these details that everybody knows? But not everybody may know them. Don't skim over it because I don't really know a whole lot about it. I mean, I know. I won't. There's a lot. Weird. There's a lot. The Menendez brothers were twins, right? No. Or were they just brothers? They were brothers. And they killed their parents or something? Yeah. In the 90s? Yeah, and everybody was like, ooh, fucking crazy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, hey, they were sexually abused by their dad, and their mom didn't do anything about it. So I do I mean, remember in Cable Guy, remember how in Cable Guy in the background, Ben Stiller yeah. was like, yeah, that's what I, that's, that's how I remember the Mendes brothers. Yeah. He spoke in a different language. I think it was Asian. Like, it was, yeah, <laughs> bad. Write and review us. It's such a weird transition. I know. Well, I don't know what else to do. I mean, well, should I be like, well, ha, cha, cha, cha. Like, I don't do it. It's like, no. It's fuck. Rate and view us. Toss us five stars. Uh, no one slick as Gaston. <laughs> Email us at svupod at gmail.com. Our P.O. Box is P.O. Box 176, DeForest, Wisconsin, 53532. We've been loving people sending us little things, and it's fun. I know. <laughs> Check out our Instagram at SVU Pod and join the Facebook group SVU Pod Elite Squad because I fucking love it. And I hate that you would not comment on the picture of the fucking chicken. I told you I was done with it. I told I you almost got me when you were like, look at it, Tasha, when you commented again. No. You know what? I put my foot down. Gabe, I gave you a boundary. Okay. You're not okay. gonna get me to But that chicken was shit. beautiful. It had long legs, a little purse. Ew. Ew. Sunglasses. I mean, it, it was totally you. Stop. I'm not, okay. I'm not going to have this conversation. We, we're we just wrapping it up right and now. And also, I don't have long legs. But okay. like the purse and the nails and whatever, yeah. You are that chicken. Okay. Also, a hashtag a little bit loud for all your indie pod needs. Mm. Mm. Got a need for indie pods, for cutie patoot indie pods. Hashtag okay. little bit loud. B-I-T, little bit. There's some people that said they can't tell if we're saying little bit or little butt. And mm. I wonder if that's an accent thing. Little bit little butt. I don't know. And then join the Patreon. We got all kinds of shit. Like some episodes, there might be 10 more minutes of extra content and some there's like 30, 40, just almost a whole other episode of us just hard getting on our bullshit. And this will be one of those because (laughs) I don't know, maybe we should always record at eight in the morning because this was great. (laughs) This was great. I had a great time. I did too. Also, I love that we're done. Me too. I have the whole day to edit a different episode. Okay. Love you. Bye. Bye. We should fucking, I should get up every day this early, man. It gives me so much extra time to fucking scroll on TikTok and not exercise or do anything or eat healthy or whatever. (laughs) Which is like, God, women, know your place, okay? It's in the strip club, fucking handing out sack lunches. (laughs) Some random guy's like, tuna salad, come on! (laughs) Whoa! Okay, leave that out. Cutting that, cutting that. Yeah. Yeah. This is why we can't do live shows because I know because <laughs> of me. God, I just immediately went back to when we did the episode about and we were like, Jesus. And you're like, I don't know where that fucking and I saved it and sent it to you later. <laughs> oh. I think I still have it. It's um, I saved it under Gabe is terrible or something. Or Gabe is awful. <laughs> don't. Sorry, well, it's okay. It's kind of funny. Uh, I mean, I would never... I should get rid of it, because what if I died and somebody who hated you went through my computer and was like, finally! <laughs> finally, it's happened to me. I'm gonna fuck over Gabe Joyner. She's such a bitch. <laughs> 
Oh my god, our laughs are like this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, to our Elite Squad patrons, Haley K, Sonia W, Jenny S, Sky K, Marissa M, LKH, Annie G, Mary D, Andrew, Andrew, Rebecca D, Miranda B, Shelby W, Lex, Emily T, Kayla W, Mallory G, Bonita R, Marin, Marin. Vanessa, Amy P, Jess M, Summer M, Melanie G, Courtney W, I always want to say Courtney Dubs, Ursula S, Emily A, Kate H, Uyanga, Nicole R, Julia P, Sapphire, Sapphire, <laughs> Kayla, Allison B, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Daniel W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Laura D, Laura I, Sarah, Emily A, Angela D, Mac, Louise M, and Mac C. Mac, are you two people? Or did we just happen to have two Macs sign up at the same time? I don't know. I emailed both of the things, and I haven't heard anything back yet. Just curious. Because that's crazy. If we had a Mac attack in like two (laughs) weeks, you know? Oh, let's go out on a high note. That was great. Was it? I mean, I'm also like, yeah, you yeah, did, it, like, was, it was, it yeah, was. Because you did the like. I don't need to explain this. the joke. <laughs> Remember what what's his face did at the Oscars and everybody made fun of him forever. What? Who was in? Who was in? Uh, Tom Cruise. No, the other one that um, he's awesome and he was in Tarzan and and. Uh, oh. God, I'm not going to remember his name. Blast from the past. Oh, Brendan Fraser. Remember when he did this whole like weird like thing at Oh, but he's having a resurgence that I, know I am he is. fucking here for. I'm so glad. I'm so like, oh, he deserves it. I know he does. He really does. Oh, it's so great. 